Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it points us so clearly to the word who was made flesh and dwelt among us, to the Lord Jesus. And we pray that as you have already been blessing us this day through the morning service and through the singing of the hymns, that you would once again apply your word to all of our hearts, that we would all be very conscious that you are here and that you are speaking and encouraging and blessing and helping each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think I've I think we're lacking power. <laughs> there it comes. So I might need a new one of these. So maybe that's it. Back a bit. I don't think this one's not lighting up, so maybe I'm doing something wrong. Yes, it's nothing to do with this, it's me. <laughs> That's it now. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, this evening we're looking at how Paul uh, arrived at Athens. He, he hadn't actually intended to be there, but that's life, isn't it? Sometimes we end up somewhere we hadn't actually intended to be, and uh, uh, Paul found himself waiting. Waiting's never easy. Some of us are better at it than others, but you can end up uh, very impatient if you have to wait and he found himself waiting in Athens. But actually, I would have thought Athens was a very nice place to wait. It's got a good reputation. Um, many regard it as the, one of the greatest cities of the ancient world. Uh, others say it's a magical city, uh, important to world history on a level few cities can claim. Uh, John Milton loved it. Uh, he said, Athens is the eye of Greece, mother of art and eloquence. Um, my first impression wasn't as good as that. Uh, we ar arrived there, Audrey was teaching, so we had no option but to go there in August. And climbing Mars Hill in August was very memorable. And I would never want to do it again. Uh, I remember nothing about the architecture when we got to the top, just there's crowds and crowds of people, and the heat would have killed you. That's the first impression. But other people have had better experiences, and uh, John Milton, whom I mentioned earlier, was overawed by uh, the, the, the Parthenon, especially this great temple, and he said to see it by moonlight was one of the greatest sights you could ever see. Others are overawed by those mighty marble columns which were built when, when Paul arrived there. Uh, this temple was already old. It was built 500 years before Paul's time. And there's still there, they're still there yet. They built things to last in, in those days. Um, so what were Paul's first impressions well, when Paul was waiting for Silas and Timothy in Athens, he was not impressed, but greatly distressed 
to see that the city was full of idols. Um, the, the word in Greek um, is kata, which means really it was underneath idols. In other words, the city was swimming, almost flooded by idols. They were almost uh, everywhere. And his spirit was provoked within him. Provoked, annoyed, angry, upset. He wasn't impressed. He was upset because that great Parthenon that John Milton loved to see by moonlight was a, a temple for the god Athena. And uh, it was just one of many temples, but it, it was probably the biggest temple in the whole of Greece. And the gods were worshipped everywhere in the city of, of Athens. So it was a very religious city. But religion's not the same thing as knowing God. Uh, remember that uh, people can be very religious, but even in the Old Testament, when people were worshiping many gods, God said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, uh, declares the Lord. The people of Athens were on a different wavelength from God. Religion isn't the same as knowing him. Uh, Paul's uh, first impressions were not good because he was in touch with God. He was seeing things the way God saw them. And what a shame it was to see so much money and buildings being wasted on gods that didn't exist. And you know, it's a, it's a good verse that to remember that uh, as God looks at the world today, he can say the same thing. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. And the only way to really get to know God is to put your trust in the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So first impressions were of a very religious city and a godless one at the same time. Then Paul did not waste his time, and uh, we see some of the people he met there are very interesting. Because there was one place in the city of Athens where there wasn't a single idol. There was one place only, and that was the synagogue. And that was the first place that he, meant, that he went. He met the Jews there, first of all, uh, there had been a time when the Jews also were pretty much given to idols. Uh, the, the, you, you've got the golden calf, for, for example. You remember how they, uh, after God had done so much for them, almost immediately they, they turned away from him and worshipped a golden calf. And you've got endless accounts of Baal worship and other, uh, other things in the Old Testament. And also, archaeologists confirm this. They have found several hundreds uh, of little tiny uh, goddesses. We don't know what they were for, but we assume they were for worship. Little tiny things about this height that were uh, kept in uh, houses and also put into graves with people. 
um, probably representing the goddess that's mentioned in the Bible, Asherah. The, the, the Jews knew all about worshipping idols, but it stopped as soon as God brought judgment on the nation and Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple. They learned their lessons. No idols were ever found after the exile. Gone. And to this day, the Jews have learned their lesson that there is only one God. And you will bring judgment on yourself if you worship the idols. So they learned their lesson in that way. So Paul would have been more comfortable there. Also, there were devout persons. That's actually a technical term. It refers to people who, like the Jews, were not given to idol worship and liked to worship in a synagogue. They didn't want to be Jews. You know, circumcision and all that. They didn't want to have anything to do with that, but they did like the message of the Bible. They did like the way the Jews did things, so they were called uh, God-fearing people or devout people, attached to the synagogue, but at a bit of a distance. And, and these were the two groups that he met in the synagogue. Uh, they had the Old Testament. They had all they needed to point them to Jesus. But instead, they were sort of totally absorbed by their traditions. Religious traditions can take hold so easily. We always need to be careful about traditions, that they've got a good basis in the Word of God. And their traditions uh, led them to believe that the Messiah had not come. They had, a, they had a book that pointed all the way to Jesus. They had the commandments. They had all the laws of God, all the history of the Old Testament. They knew all about, uh, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. They knew verses like, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter before her shears is done. The Old Testament, in a very powerful way, pointed them to Jesus. And they missed it. They just preferred to keep on doing things they were doing. They, they missed the great joy of seeing where the Old Testament was taking them. Because the Old Testament, you see, is a book of ever-increasing anticipation. It's always on the move. It starts with Abraham journeying, and the whole Old Testament is always traveling, traveling towards Jesus. And they missed that. So, Paul would still have been more comfortable there. There were no idols and people, at least, they would know their Bibles as he did very well. But he wanted to do more than that in this city. I wonder, did he say to them, are you too comfortable in here? I wonder, did he say to them, how can you live in this city when you know idols are wrong? I don't know what he said, but I'm sure he, you know, he let them have it. Because there they were in their own cozy corner, no idols, and very clear there shouldn't be, and outside was drowning in idols. So out he went to, other, to the marketplace. Um, this is a, a more modern marketplace, but uh, I can imagine it can't be much different. He went out to the marketplace where you could meet anybody. Jesus said, other sheep I have which are not of this fold. And so Paul went out of the synagogue and into the marketplace uh, great place just to meet people. 
As you know, probably, I was brought up in Ballymena. And before they built the big uh, supermarkets, uh, we had the Fair Hill. Has anybody else been in the Fair Hill? It, it, it was the center of Ballymena, really. It was a huge marketplace where everybody that was anybody went on a Saturday morning. And the farmers and all come in from the country with all their goods to sell. And uh, you never accepted the price they offered. You always bargained. And there was chat and going on. And it was a very, it was a, the way you spent your Saturdays when I was young. Then they built a great supermarket on top of it. But anyway, the, uh, this is where Paul went. A place where you could talk to people. A place where people were not in a hurry. That was the marketplace a place that he could reason with uh, others. And the people he met there, as well as the Jews and the devout people, uh, he met Stoics. Uh, Stoics uh, were people who believed that they had got a philosophy of life, of how you could live a better life. It's not easy to explain it in two or three words, um, I'm not sure I fully understand it all. But anyway, the Stoics believed that God and nature are the same thing. God was in everything, as I understand it. Uh, their aim was at self-control. You've heard of the stiff upper lip type of thing? That was the Stoics. Um, God's will should be accepted without resentment. Um, accept pain, accept whatever's happening to you, and control yourself, man. Control yourself. That was the Stoics. Uh, then he also met the Epicureans. Uh, everything happens by chance to them. Uh, so, um, you know, don't worry too much about what's going to happen. It's going to happen anyway, by chance. The gods are remote and don't care. Uh, enjoy life in moderation. They've, they've been labeled as eat, drink, and be merry, but... I think they were more, slightly more moderate than that. They were thinking you should seek contentment in life as best you could. Don't go to excesses. Death is the end of everything. Seek pleasure. Avoid pain at all costs if you possibly can. That, that was the Epicureans. A bit like many people today. Uh, we don't know if there's a God or not. If he is, he's far away. Um, everything's luck. How often do you hear people these days saying, I was so lucky, or touch wood, or cross fingers? That's the world that we live in. If we know God, we don't do that. But people that don't, that, that, that's all they've got. Just everything's by chance. and You'll be lucky or unlucky. What a sad way to live. Well, that was the Epicureans. And then finally he was brought before the highest court in Athens, the Areopagus. It was um, uh, the place where the, uh, where the council of Athens met. Of course, they were under Romans in those days, but they still had uh, power. They still had uh, men that met there. It uh, doesn't say that Paul was arrested. They, they, some of them wanted to hear what he would say. They say, what does this babbler wish to say? It wasn't a complimentary word, babbler. Uh, in Greek, it's literally seed picker. Seed picker. You, you know if you go downtown, you'll see pigeons about your feet picking seeds. And so one of the translations actually calls it, uh, says uh, the Jerusalem Bible translates this as, uh, you know, 
let's hear what this parrot has to say. I would have, knowing our experience in the backyard where we have bird feeders, I would have used magpie because they're always hooking around to find seeds or pigeons, something like that. But that's, that's how they were treating him. I think I would have just said, if, if that's what you think I am, you know, I'm not going to speak to you. But Paul never lost an opportunity. He didn't get insulted. I think if somebody said, Parrot, are you available next week to preach? I would, you might, might not be too happy about it. But uh, he t- uh, didn't take it as an insult. Instead, he preached a message to them from the Bible. Because he believed, as he saw, all the idols and all the buildings and all the food being offered and the sacrifices. What Paul says to them basically is, you're underestimating God. And in his sermon, he says, I saw an idol to the unknown God. Well, he says, the God you don't know, the one God, is the one that I am going to proclaim to you. And uh, he made the world and everything in it. You can just think of Paul looking beyond the buildings and looking at the hills around Athens and saying, my God didn't make these buildings of concrete. He made the hills and the mountains and the valleys. He's greater than you ever thought. And he doesn't need a house to live in made by men. That was one of the things the Old Testament taught as well. Jeremiah said, stop going around saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Because there's always this temptation of people to think that if you have a temple that God lives there. But that was never taught in the Old Testament. Uh, Solomon, when he built the temple, says, uh, heaven is your throne and earth is your footstool. What good is a temple to you? But it was a place that represented God's presence. Isaiah said that he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the corner of his robe filled the temple. (laughs) It wasn't big enough for God. And and, you know, that comes across in Psalm 24 where uh, the psalmist says, uh, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Swing wide open ancient doors that the king of glory may enter in. In other words, God's coming and this place is too small for him. It's putting it into human language. Our God's too big to be able to fit into the temples that we built. And so Paul says this, God who made the world, are you going to fit him into a temple? Your temples, even though you've got the biggest temple in the whole of Greece, It'll never hold the God who made the heavens. You're underestimating him. The one who gives life and breath and everything. Because they thought they could provide sacrifices, they could provide food for God. And of course, that happens in our own city. I remember many years ago now, so I, I don't know what happens now, but I remember being shown into a Hindu temple where people were providing food for the gods. And a man said to me, I said, what are you doing? He said, well, we're leaving food for the gods. He says, if we're kind to them, they'll be kind to us. That's what was happening in Athens. What an underestimation of the one who made the whole world and everything in it and gives us our very breath to breathe. And so, Paul goes on to say, human beings are made in such a way that they know they need God. 
And that is true, isn't it? People are always trying to find some sort of satisfaction. There's a, there's a vacuum within us. We know we're not adequate for life. And, we're, and people are searching. But these people were searching in the wrong place. They were searching for their unknown God. Paul used the uh, poets uh, so that he could quote from them and said, in him we live and move and have our being. God's not far away, but he's not in idols of stone or concrete or whatever they had. So he, in a way, Paul was relevant and well-informed. His, his message was in a language that they understood. He used their own poets. It reminded me of a time, uh, do you remember way back when you were in the airport and you had to, you, the, the queue was way up the stairs sort of thing, you remember that? I remember being in that situation and uh, there were a lot of people waiting to get on the flight and a very officious looking gentleman came forward and stood in front with a microphone and said, would all the unaccompanied minors please come down? And nobody moved. And he got angry. Would all the unaccompanied minors please come down? And then a lady came forward and stood in front of him and said, Would all the boys and girls that have nobody with them please come down? And they all came down immediately. You see, I think they were all looking for minors with wee hats and lumps and things. Uh, but uh, So when you're speaking to people, you have to use language that they understand, you see. Just as, uh, and that's what Paul was doing here. He was working from the basis where they were, using their ports and speaking in a relevant way uh, that was well informed. He stood before this very, uh, this very uh, uppity council and he took the situation uh, as God gave him the chance and he preached the gospel in a way that they would understand it clearly with the language of their own poets. He was bold and uncompromising because they thought they were something. You know what I mean? This council, these guys, they, they were the top of Athens society. So, so they, they, they were looking down on everybody else. They, they thought they were special. Paul says, you're sinners and you need to repent. He didn't pull his punches. He says, you need to repent of your sins because you are born in sin. Uh, God commands all people everywhere to repent. And when does he command it? He commands it now. So to these very important people, he says, you're sinners. And people don't always like that. But it's the truth. We're all born in sin. Nobody ever had to teach me how to tell a lie. I had to learn how to walk. I had to learn how to run. And very painfully even, remember how to ride a bicycle. But I never had to learn to sin. I knew that automatically because I was born that way. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. He says to these very posh people, you are sinners in need of God. And that is a message that was inescapable, the message that they needed to hear. He knew Greek philosophy. He uh, knew that he was about to say something that they would find very difficult and obnoxious. But he didn't pull his punches. He said, as we read in verse 18, 
Paul preached the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. He knew that Greeks regarded the soul, the eternal immortal soul, as imprisoned in the body. So the idea of bodily resurrection, he knew, would not appeal to them. But it didn't stop him, because that is central to the Christian message. That is central to all that he believed. That is central to why Paul was standing there, because he had been a persecutor of Christ and his followers. And what made the difference? He met the risen Christ on the Damascus Road. And that changed everything for him. And he knew they wouldn't like it. But you can't tell people what they like to hear all the time. And so he preached something he knew they wouldn't like. He preached Jesus and the resurrection because this is the message of Easter and it's the message of every day that we live as Christians. He is risen so important for us today because we know him. These people didn't want to know that. But you know, that resurrection, it was so wonderful because it changed history. It was a brand new order of things. Everything changed after the resurrection. You see, up until the resurrection, everybody had just died. There were people raised from the dead. I know that. There was Jairus' daughter. But guess what happened after a few years? She died again. Uh, You know Lazarus. He was raised from the dead. Well, yes, but guess what? He died again because they hadn't defeated death. Death was still the problem that faced people. But Jesus, when he was raised from the dead... He never died again. He destroyed the power of death. And so Paul could say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, where's your victory? Because Jesus defeated it. And because of that, that is the central message that he couldn't leave out, although he knew it would annoy the life out of them. And they wouldn't be a bit happy about it. He still had to say, I'm here to tell you about a man who rose again from the dead and he's alive forevermore, a king of kings and lord of lords. But that's the message that has changed my life. And if you know the Lord Jesus, that's the message that has changed your life. The Lord is alive. He is risen from the dead. It wasn't their wisdom. God's wisdom, a man's wisdom. And uh, uh, I don't need to say very much about this because Simon said it all this morning about how that in Corinthians, Paul points out that the wisdom of human beings can lead you totally away from God. Can all the advice that you get to save yourself, it doesn't work. God's wisdom takes you a different way. God's wisdom takes you the way of the resurrection the way of Christ, the way of victory that he won at Calvary. These men believed themselves to be very wise. And many people went to Athens, you know, with their problems, to ask questions, to seek guidance. Many people went to Athens to ask these wise men. But Paul didn't find real wisdom there at all. And as James says in the New Testament, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should actually ask God.
because God's wisdom is not like that frail human wisdom that's always self-seeking. So the uh, real wisdom, well, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Now, have you heard this word before? Dayenu. Have you heard that before? You might have seen it in some protests. People carry posters with Dayenu on it. Dayenu um, is a Hebrew word, and Dai means enough, and Enu means for us. And this is one of the most popular songs sung during Passover, just last week. That Because uh, Passover is meant to be a celebration of victory over the Egyptians, and it's meant to be lively as well. And one of the liveliest songs, this song is a thousand years old, and it is sung every Passover with great gusto. Uh, it, uh, it, it starts off by... It's a song to thank God for all that he did for the Israelites, and it goes through all the history of the Exodus. And it says, if God had just brought us out of Egypt, only brought us out of Egypt, that would have been enough. And of course, that would have been enough is the chorus, Dayenu. And it gets very lively because it goes, die, die, Dayenu, die, die. And people stamp their feet and clap their hands, and it livens the whole thing up in case some people are going to sleep. It's a long service. Uh, and so uh, it's a Dayenu, it's enough. And it goes like this, it says, if God had just brought us out of Egypt, that would have been enough. If he just carried out Egyptian uh, judgment against the Egyptians, that would have been enough, but he did more. If he had just given us a law, that would have been enough. If he, had just, if he had just given us the manna, that would have been enough. You get the idea? There's 15 verses. And they're not true. It's just not true. You know, there's many things that we say over and over again that's not true, but that's one of them. They sing this, but they don't stop and think, no, if God had just brought us out of Egypt and hadn't opened the Red Sea, that wouldn't have been enough. If he had just taken us into the wilderness but hadn't given us manna, that wouldn't have been enough. So I would like to say the same applies to Christianity. So if Jesus had just been born of a virgin, that wouldn't have been enough. If Jesus had just lived a perfect life, Dayenu, lo, dayenu. That means not enough for us. Lo means not in Hebrew. So if he had just done great miracles, raised the Jarius' daughter, raised Lazarus from the dead, if he had just healed blind Bartimaeus, lo, dayenu. Try it for me. Lo, dayenu. Oh, you're too shy. <laughs> the, you, you, you see, if he had just died on the cross... Would that have been enough? Lo dayenu. It wouldn't have been enough. He had to rise again from the dead. Would that have been enough? No, he had to go back to heaven in victory. Would that have been enough? No, he sent his Holy Spirit to live within us, to give us resurrection power, the power of the life of the risen Christ. Would that have been enough? No, no, lo dayenu again, because he's also coming again. He's not, if, if he left us here, that would be no good. So he's coming again to take us to be with himself. We need the whole plan of God's salvation. Anything else would not have been enough. So Paul needed the 
whole message of the gospel for these people. And uh, what a victory message it was. What a great thing to know that we are not living defeated, that God is on our side and that he lives within our hearts. And you know, all that power, the power of the living God, we are told, is available to weak individuals like you and me to help us. God hasn't left us alone. He has given us a resource of power through the risen Christ, through the Holy Spirit living within us. And we've got to get to know him better and use that power. You can have power and not use it. We used to live in North Antrim, uh, in, in North Belfast, up there uh, 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 near, uh, where was it, Hillview Avenue? We used to live uh, opposite an old man who, well, he probably wouldn't look old now, but he did then, to me, I mean. But um, uh, we called him Granda and used to have little chats with him. He, he, when he washed his car, it was a full-day job. Then one day I noticed that he'd got a new car. So I went over to see him and said, well, a new car. And he beamed with pride. He said, oh, boy, it is. He says, do you know, it's got disc brakes the whole way around, and it's got fuel injection, and it's got twin carbs, and it'll do not to 60 in seven seconds. The next day, I saw uh, what I thought was a funeral. There was somebody holding the traffic up, and there was Granda with his little peaked cap, driving at about 10 miles an hour, holding up all the traffic in his new car. You see, he had the power, but he hadn't put the foot down. And you know, as Christians, you can have the power, but you don't, if you don't put the foot down, if you don't use it, if you don't seek to get to know better, to get to know God better, we don't get the benefit of it. So may God help us to put the foot down on the accelerator in our Christian lives. And how can we do that? Just what you're doing tonight worshiping him more and more and getting to know him better and knowing that that power of God is available to those who ask uh, in the most difficult of circumstances. So how, so Paul received a disappointing response. They said, we will hear you again about this matter. It's always dangerous to put God off because they never heard him again. He never went back to Athens again. Jesus was passing that way in Paul's message, but he never came back. Paul never went back. We'll hear you again about this. They never did. So their response was inadequate. What can our response be? We want to, as we close tonight, we, we want to be those who continually focus on Jesus and worship him for whom he is. Keep focused on him, especially when we face problems in life. It's easy to focus on the problem, not on the Savior. So uh, our response must be to, to realize that he's in control. You know, it's okay talking about this, but uh, I remember a waiting experience uh, of my own when I was in Israel and I'd just arrived to do some work and study, and then I turned on the news and heard about this volcano that had erupted in Iceland. And um, I listened to 
the news an hour later and an hour later and an hour later after that, every, the news was all over the place and people were talking about this terrible thing that would make, make no flights available. And so I'd like to tell you that I simply said, well, Lord, you're in control <laughs> and you understand. I didn't. I panicked. I listened to every news. I got more and more. I got myself sick over it. And I wasn't doing the job I was there for. You know, it was just like a coin in front of your eye. A coin can block out the midday sun. And that, 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 uh, that cloud, and all the stupid things the journalists were saying. Some of them were saying, there'll be no planes in the air for three months. Oh, Lord, three months. Uh, you know, uh, panic. So it's very easy to say these things, but there's power there. We need to be like Granda and, uh, and, and use it and not allow things to block out the fact of our very powerful Lord who can help us in every situation. So worship Him for who He is. Praise Him for what He has done. Trust Him for what lies ahead. And uh, trust Him for what lies ahead and desire every day to get to know him better. And so I close with the headings again. First impressions, the people he met there, but the message he preached was Jesus Christ is alive and he has changed everything. Amen. Our closing hymn uh, puts that into wonderful words as we think of how precious it is to worship our risen Savior. It's the hymn I think that uh, many of you will, uh, will know. I think it's, uh, we may already have sung it at Easter time, but um, it's good to remind ourselves of the power of the resurrection tonight. See what a morning is the, uh, is the closing hymn. Mm.
Our Father, we thank you that we worship a risen Savior. We thank you that as we leave tonight and go to our homes or to another meeting, that we do not go alone, that he will be with us all through our lives until he comes again or calls us to himself. So we worship you tonight and thank you for the risen Savior and just pray that all of us would be very conscious of his help in the way we need it this evening hour. Now may grace, mercy, and peace from the living God be with us all this night.